This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. The cannabis retailing industry is interesting in a whole bunch of ways. It's a unique vertical market with an absolutely screaming need for digital signage and interactive technologies in the stores. While longtime recreational users may know their stuff, as U.S. states and Canadian provinces have legalized, there's a whole bunch of new users coming in with needs that have more to do with sleep problems or arthritic joints. They walk into dispensaries and are confronted with products and options that are somewhat or entirely unfamiliar. So screens that promote and explain are very helpful and relevant. The dispensary business is also interesting because the industry has its own overcrowded ecosystem of payments and management systems that need to be somehow tied together. The largest player in cannabis digital signage is the Bowling Green Kentucky firm Enlighten, which is in some 1,200 dispensaries in the United States. I had a fun conversation with Enlightened founder Jeremy Jacobs, who found his way into digital signage when the clean energy business he was running went south in the late 2000s recession. He pivoted into doing screens for businesses, and menu displays for restaurants led to an opportunity to branch into cannabis retail. He's a super smart, interesting guy more signage people should know about. Enjoy. Jeremy, thank you for joining me. Can you give me the rundown on what your company does? Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Uh, Enlighten is the only real omni-channel uh, company within the cannabis vertical, particularly. And by omni-channel, I mean we uh, affect the customer journey throughout that entire customer journey. We have a, a product real quickly called Ad Suite that targets people on in a digital environment, whether it be mobile, Roku, or even desktop computers uh, based upon audience segmentation data we have to know those are known cannabis consumers. And then we have our Smarto product, which is an in-store product, uh, which is why we're here today, digital signage, kiosk related. And that product helps to upsell the customers that were brought in from the marketing from AdSuite. And this could be on menu boards. This can be on information displays. It can be on tablets, any number of things, right? Yeah, so SmartUp is really unique. Even if you look completely, you zoom out of, of a cannabis vertical and just look you know, broadly at the digital signage industry, SmartUp is an extremely unique product that we created. Uh, it manages kiosks. It manages digital signage of all sorts, menus, feature boards, order queue systems, uh, break room TVs where the audience is shifted from a consumer to the actual employee. It uses extremely advanced logic and filtering uh, with the point of sale data that it's consuming to, to make these things. And it even has an e-commerce component to it. So really the way to think about it is Smart Hub is an extremely robust merchandising platform that 
manages all of your consumer facing surfaces, whether that surface is a passive screen, an interactive screen like a kiosk or even the web page where someone would come to purchase and make an order on your website. And the, the cannabis industry is kind of its own unique ecosystem, right? Like there's there's <laughs> TOS companies that only do cannabis and so on. Yeah, I would say there's no truer words than cannabis is its own individual ecosystem. So as a as a veteran, not not been in the industry quite as long as you, uh, but since 2008, I've seen a lot of things, and, and cannabis is extremely unique. So it it does have all all of its own tech stack companies for the most part. There are a few companies. Microsoft Dynamics makes a sort of a POS system that's been modified for cannabis. Uh, but outside, and some people use like, uh, I'll see uh, Square every now and then. But for the most part, 99.99% of like all point of sale systems that a digital signage company would integrate with are extremely cannabis specific. And they all compete for what is roughly 8,500 retail clients across, you know, just short of 40 states. And so to talk about the uniqueness, even in more depth, not only are the stacks different in cannabis than they would be outside of that, but all the individual laws and rules that apply vary literally from state to state. So you even have state variances. Yeah. And, and why is it, like, why would so many companies decide I want to be in a space that's, you know, changing constantly and and not all that big in 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 the grand scheme of what retail is that's a great question uh you know to i think what your question was alluding to there's the tam the total addressable market you know you look Mm. at restaurants and there's literally hundreds of thousands of them right and and i would argue there's barely as many pos companies in restaurants as there is inside of cannabis and i think it's a couple things um you know from an emotional standpoint this is, you know, quote unquote, the green rush, right? So any cannabis advocate that for the last, you know, 100 years that it's been illegal has felt violated by that or has seen social injustice from that. I, I believe there's an emotional component while a lot of these companies are there and a lot of these leaders are there. Secondly, you know, there's a, a power vacuum that gets filled when no one wants to go somewhere. So when you take a look at the cannabis industry, none of these major POS companies that we're referring to, none of them had any interest at all whatsoever in getting involved in cannabis. So the sheer result of that is someone has to. And then sort of the third prong, I think, of, of this little fork here is that it the, there is a green rush. You know, the, the Anheuser-Busch's of the world are about to be made in cannabis. There's very unique transactions, very unique audiences, and it's there's a lot of money to be made there. There's a lot of value, and, and you can see companies that are in the space that make tech. Uh, like if you look on the internet, Weed Maps is probably the largest one listed on NASDAQ, billion-plus-dollar company. Uh, you know, recently Dutchy has made some announcements. They're billion-plus-dollar company as well. So, so fortunes are being made, even though the total addressable market is so small. Yeah, and I've always thought that the cannabis dispensary business was a particularly interesting one for digital signage because, unlike most retail, where you know you walk into an apparel retailer, you kind of know you're looking for clothes. You, you, I need a shirt or whatever. It's it's pretty obvious. But if, if I walk into a cannabis dispensary, I'm pretty much lost. Like, I don't know what I'm even looking at and all these different strains of flowers and buds and this and that. It's like, it's like Mars to me, but 
and I suspect a lot of people walk in like that who maybe aren't recreational users, but want it to help them sleep or calm them down or whatever purpose they have for it. Yeah. And, and so to, to, you know, drill into that observation you've made is really there's two kinds of consumers that very quickly develop in cannabis. There's the the customer that you just described, which is a new customer. And there's a lot of those because again, cannabis was, you know, technically illegal for about a hundred years. And so Mm -hmm. there's a huge amount of new customers that don't know anything. And so there's a massive educational vacuum there. And that's actually where Enlighten really started is we recognize that. And so we created an in-store digital out of home a television network that runs ads for brands and things of that nature, endemic or non-endemic. We got clients like DoorDash or Van Shoes or FX Networks when they have cannabis shows. But the content that's on that network is educationally driven specifically to satisfy that lack of education that you just you just talked about. And then on the other end of that spectrum, there are these clients that very much know what they want and precisely what they're looking for. And those particular clients aren't looking for that same experience. They're looking for, you know, digital menus that can be sorted based upon terpenes or based upon cannabinoid profiles. So the highest THC value, they're looking for express checkout kiosks so they don't have to have an interaction. And so the uniqueness of the cannabis dispensary from a digital science perspective is you got to create digital environments that satisfy both of those polar opposites. And I gather when you were talking about omnichannel that it's it's really important or or helpful to a company playing in the space to be able to serve multiple needs and to integrate with the other technologies that are part of the ecosystem. So if you're if you just did digital signage, it, it's kind of a walled garden thing where it's going to be a lot more. You're going to get a much better reception from end users if you can provide multiple components, right? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I've been in a lot of lot of industries. Uh, you know, the restaurant space was the first one I was really in in digital signage. Cisco Foods started slinging my digital menus for me in like I think it's two thousand and nine at their thirty different offices, and so I got to see a lot of things there. But in the first week in cannabis, you know, eight years ago, the word integrate came up like forty different times within an hour, and so I've never <laughs> seen an industry that's so demanding of integrations. Like for example, you walk into a restaurant and you know, any, any number of restaurants and you look over by the hostess stand and there's a DoorDash tablet and there's a Grubhub tablet and there's a Postmates tablet and there's all these tablets. And so the hostess are watching these orders come in and you know, then they're putting them in their POS system. That would never fly in cannabis mm-hmm. way. Like it's, it's a demanded integrations by these people and so if you're going to create an integration engine, you're going to want to make it have more points of influence than just a, a you know, a, a TV menu. You're going to need to provide that e-commerce plug in. You're going to need to provide those kiosks. You're going to want that to link up with their customer data for targeting those customers, you know, on their mobile devices. So the, you're exactly right. If you're going to be relevant in cannabis, your stack better be serious because they're trying to reduce that vendor set to, if they could, just one. Now, nobody does all of it, but they want to reduce that number to as small as possible. Is that in part because it's a, a younger buyer audience who understands technology more and does, didn't grow up in kind of old style restaurants or whatever, where there were all these different systems? 
Well, uh, interesting thing you said there is it because it's a younger buyer. So that was very true eight years ago. But at this point, that is not the truth at this, at this juncture. So uh, just a few years ago, I think it was two and a half years ago, uh, the fastest growing segment of users shifted from that you know 20-year-old to a middle-aged mother. And it was the fastest growing audience. And then over the last few years, what has really been the the fastest growing audience has actually been elderly people. It seems like they're starting to come to grips with, hey, I have pains and aches and cannabis is actually the solution. And so the, it's it's a big growing segment. But, it, but I think the answer to the question that you did ask is why is there this desire for a consolidation of a tech stack more than anything? Yeah, and I, I was thinking more of the operators. That yeah. The, they're, they tend to be younger. Oh, is the but operator. Maybe, maybe that's not the case. Well, yeah, it, it, again, same thing at this point. It's, okay. it, it's not, yeah, it's weird. So it was the case 100% because who was willing to take that risk to get in the weed business, right? And yeah. so 100%. But now I'm sitting in meetings with, you know, digital officers and marketing officers from Abercrombie and Apple. And, you know, they came from big organizations. And so it's a very changing landscape. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, I think it's, that some of them are young. So yes, to your answer, very, very good observation. Second is the ones that aren't young are professionals and they're used to dealing with that. But thirdly, I think for both of them, the demand of tech stack is necessary because the regulations and the data that they have to send back to the state agencies and authorities and all of those sorts of things and the compliance they have to undergo is worse than any other industry ever. Mm-hmm. Like they're under so much scrutiny and you could lose your license, you know, at the drop of a hat. And so they, they want less to deal with so they can focus more on staying in business. Mm-hmm. Does that touch on your platform and what you do? Like, do you have to have a Nevada version of it and a Colorado version and a, I forget where else it, it's legal, California, obviously, but do, yeah. do, do you have to parse them out state by state or is it pretty uniform? Well, so great question. So, so the technology itself is the same across all the states. You know, AdSuite is AdSuite and and SmartHub is SmartHub, but there are definitely nuances. So let me give you a couple of interesting examples. In the state of Pennsylvania, you're not allowed to put anything up on a screen from a digital signage perspective unless absolutely it has been medically proven. And so that it comes from a doctor or some position of medical authority. In Alaska, for example, they don't believe anything has ever been proven by a doctor or medical authority. And so you can't put anything up that even closely resembles a recommendation. So there's two polar opposites. So from a content perspective, I've got to watch those things. From like an advertising perspective, some states, even though it's cannabis, they won't let you show pictures of weed in the advertisements. Go figure that out. They won't let you use... (laughs) Like, how do you advertise weed without showing weed, right? You can't show people consuming the product in a lot of states with advertisements. Uh, so there's another nuance. And then a, a third nuance is is like in Pennsylvania, 
what I'm able to put on a digital menu is very specific and is I cannot put any imagery is one thing. And I have to am required to put like certain testing results similar to the way in the restaurant industry. Now everybody went digital whenever they were required to put what the calorie count was for these items. Right. And that's when you saw this massive uprising of digital because they got to replace all this stuff anyway. Might as well go to go to screen. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, in in Pennsylvania, I got to put things like that, you know, testing results. What what's the content that uh, seems to be required across all the different uh, dispensaries? The, the kind of the money messages that that need to be there, and the operators want to have up there. Yeah, so from like a TV menu perspective, we'll start with there. That's the largest, mm-hmm. uh, largely most largely adopted digital signage product ever, right? TV menus, and um, so TV menu. What, what's necessary is, you know, the names of the products, the type of the product, the weight of the product, the price of the product. But really importantly is people want to know about cannabinoid profiles. You know, is this high or low in THC, uh, the, the psychoactive ingredient that gives you the feeling of a high? And is it high or low in CBD, which is the non-psychoactive ingredient that really focuses a lot on pain, you know, arthritis and inflammation and things of that nature, muscle pain. And so... Consumers sort of demand that. Operators want to provide that. Um, and from an educational perspective, if you're talking about a different digital signage product, just more like digital signage where we're you know, producing educational videos, uh, the, the demand really is around education of like, what are these different terpenes? Uh, what are these different cannabinoids, these little things inside of the cannabis that creates each strain has a different effect. Like this one makes me sleepy. This one makes me energetic. This one's great for back pain. This one's, and, and so that's kind of the demand from a regulatory standpoint, though, pretty much the only uniform thing that I can't really do uh, is, is show anything that's cartoonish that might like want to lure children into mm, the cannabis yeah. room. And that was a big problem with uh, packaging for edibles for a while there, right? It was. It was. I mean, they got Sour Patch Kids on the box, right? And so, you know, the, the first versions of edibles were very kid-friendly because they took kids' candies and, and made it out of that. And now that's pretty much been regulated out. So the same thing, that same sort of concern with the packaging that you pointed out with edibles is also mm-hmm. a concern in digital signage and, and even digital advertising. So if I'm, you know, targeting a mobile phone, even though I'm targeting a known cannabis consumer, just stay away from anything that might be alluring to children. Hi, I'm Jeremy Gavin, CEO of ScreenFeed. Now, I'm not put off by the fact that you're not listening to this podcast to hear me. Just like audiences to any digital signage, you give your attention to content you find interesting or helpful. That's where my company's screen feed comes in. Our sole mission is to make your digital signage network more valuable by making content that is more valuable to your audience. If you'd like to drive more attention to your screens, visit screenfeed.com to explore the 75-plus content options we've created to do just that. And then give us a call. Now back to the podcast. So, if I'm a, a customer of Enlighten, am I? Is it a SaaS platform that I'm using? Uh, yeah. So the the two products are different. One is the Smart Hub is the in-store signage kiosk, you know, kind of technology uh, that that manages all of that and talks to your POS system. That is definitely a SaaS product. Uh, we, you know, as, as far as pricing models, there's been a lot of those in digital signage. Our kiosk system is a one price for your entire store. Use as many as you want. Our signage model is the same as anyone else's. It's, you know, per node. 
uh, SaaS model. On our ad suite product, though, uh, that is a SaaS product, if you will. It's a piece of software that gains you access mm-hmm. to those audiences on our DOH network and in stores, as well as, you know, digital Roku devices, mobile devices, desktop computers. Uh, but that's driven just like any other digital advertising model would be, and it's done on a cost per impression basis. What's uh, the footprint for, for your company at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've reached a really interesting um, crossroads. Very few companies in cannabis have ever got over that thousand mark. Uh, right now, I would estimate we're in probably roughly 1,200 dispensaries, uh, somewhere thereabouts, and then have you know several hundred other clients that are brands and so forth. So our footprint reaches to about 1,500 or so clients. Big, and, big number in a TAM of 8,500, if you look at it that way. Oh, okay. So there, and and this is a an industry that like more and more states seem to be coming on stream or at least there's a push to bring them on stream. So it's not like it's a finite market right now. Yeah. So that's part of the growth. Like if you, um, you know, when we're assessing growth, there's, you know, a couple ways to look at it. One is how can we get, you know, more money out of the existing customers and that's to offer premium versions of our products, you know, additional uh, services that, that might be out there uh, that we could focus on. Uh, but also there's just the overall growth of the entire market itself. And, mm-hmm. and so, and there's a couple phases of that. The first phase is for a state to go medical. So now, you know, they can be a client of ours. Uh, but typically, you know, we find the greatest traction in the states once they go recreational. And because what happens is their revenue growth is astronomical on that end. It's uh, you know, people don't people don't appear to want to go to get a medical license nearly as easy as just walking in a dispensary. So whenever they go recreational, they buy a lot of other products from us and and really focus in, uh, you know, on that on that retail environment and creating a, a magical experience for those recreational customers. So really, there's two phases, medical and, and then recreational. But right now you're looking at there's cannabis in, in almost 40 states at a medical level. Uh, roughly 10 or so at a recreational level. I'm, I'm averaging there. The number changes. I haven't kept track of it in a minute. But to give you an idea of growth, there's about 10 left. There's 10 or 20 or 12 to go medical. And then there's the vast majority are 80 plus percent that are not yet recreational. So it's a lot of growth mm-hmm. in the market. Are you up in Canada as well? We are. Uh, we are. So it's a lot of challenges, uh, you know, working inside of Canada. Anybody that's ever dealt internationally, you got to have your own bank accounts, your own corporations. Uh, your own teams up there. It's hard to import hardware products. And as a company, we do also provide the hardware. So that has some challenges, but we do operate in Canada. Uh, we've got some systems in Puerto Rico, which is uh, U.S. territory. Jamaica, we sent some things to. Uh, we have some plans we're brewing up. Spain has a pretty uh, good sized cannabis market. And so we're looking internationally there because the challenge is the same, Dave. You know, people don't understand cannabis. They need education. That's the same worldwide. It's been illegal globally, you know, for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. How did you get into it? You, you mentioned that you, you your <laughs> first foray into digital signage was uh, restaurants for Cisco. Uh, how did you end up in this? So, so in two thousand eight, I started a company called Iconic TV, and uh, it's had many, many offshoots with verticals. I've been one of those guys. When I see a vertical, I, I make a very precision product. We helped build a C store DOH network called C store TV. Uh, 
we had a school product called School Menu Guru. We've Iconic now has a lobby product called Lobby Fox that does visitor management. And and so one of those products we noticed early on was digital TV menus. And so in 2009, I formed a deal with Cisco Foods, and they have 30 offices across the country that would distribute my digital signage, digital TV menu products to their restaurateurs. And so I hired these vice presidents in each of those areas to partner with those offices, as Cisco calls an opco. And so Cisco would have reps and my reps would go do ride alongs. And so they would ride along with these representatives and go in and meet these restaurateurs at work and stuff. Well, one of them, the guy in Denver, Colorado, Ted Tilton's his name. So Ted calls me one day and this is right before cannabis goes legal in in Colorado, and which was the first state to recreationalize mm-hmm. cannabis. Washington and Colorado voted on it basically the same time, but Colorado was the first to actually implement it. And he calls me, says, hey, man, I got this idea. And I said, what is it? He goes, you know, these TV menus we're selling through Cisco. I said, yeah. He goes, what do you think about making some for marijuana? I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, I got these buddies, Greg Gamut and Justin Jones, opening this dispensary called Dank. And it'll be the closest dispensary to Denver International Airport. And I got this feeling as soon as weed's legal in Colorado, a lot of people are going to be coming into DIA. And this place is going to be real busy since it's the closest one. And he says, and I was like, well, what would be the difference? And essentially, we would put up marijuana buds instead of chicken sandwiches, right? And I said, I'm in. You know, I've been a big advocate of cannabis for a long time. At one point, I was even the executive director of Kentucky Normal, uh, the, the division of the National Organization for Marijuana Legalization. Mm-hmm. It's the Kentucky chapter. I've been a big advocate of it. I've been a self-prescribed patient for many years, um, you know, <laughs> so uh it, it was an interesting opportunity to take a couple of things I was very passionate about, both cannabis and, and digital signage, and go do some real work on two things I care about. So we dove in. Yeah. is Has the profile of the operator changed? Uh, I, I remember talking to another person who's involved in this space and actually being out in Denver, and he was he was saying that there's two types of operators. There's uh, business people who see this as a growth opportunity and they've already have some experience in retail or in investing or whatever. And then there's growers and growers who are be- turning into retailers. And you said the challenge with the growers is they, they're growers, they're not business people and they don't really understand retail. And I'm, I'm curious if in the early days you saw a lot of uh, stores or dispensaries that would start up and then drop off because they didn't really know what they're doing. Yeah, and and I'll take that example. Uh, your friend gave us pretty good uh, insight there. But to to expand on that, I don't even think it's just growers though. It's I think mm-hmm. just very weed passionate people. Like they're very right. passionate about the plant, whether it's consuming it or making concentrates or growing it or whatever. So I would just call them plant passionate people versus business people, and it very much exists, and it doesn't today to the degree that it used to you know in the beginning someone that's a senior executive vice president of abercrombie is not going to go start a dispensary right like during the first Mm -hmm. couple years we were all wondering if everybody opening these things were all going to go to jail you know i'm sure you were too (laughs) like everybody in america is going everybody in denver is going to jail soon you know just wait yeah and 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 all my friends that opened dispensaries were sitting around. I would have conversations with them at night, and they're like, "I'm just wondering if tonight's the night the DEA raids my house," you know. And and 
And so nobody wanted to be under that scrutiny except plant passionate people. But as time got on and the federal government sort of started to take a position, even if the position was we don't have a position, that's still a position, right? And so they're, they're not taking an aggressive stance on it. Then you began to see real business people start to come into the environment. And at this point, you know, you got organizations like Cure Leaf or True Leave who just bought Harvest or, you know, Cresco who just bought Columbia Care. And these operators have over 100 stores and they're doing, you know, they're doing hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in retail cannabis sales. These are not the type of marijuana dispensaries that I think most people have in their mind. These people have entire floors of IT teams. They have entire floors of marketing teams. They they do in-depth customer insight studies and then influences every tiny nuance of their packaging and their store layouts. I mean, these are real operations. But I can still take you to Oregon right now and walk in a shop where, you know, Nancy and Megan, who are best friends, uh, you know, and, and they have tie-dyed things up on the wall and Mm -hmm. they're very whimsical people that are just very plant passionate who have also a successful store. Now they're not going to sell hundreds of millions of dollars of cannabis, but they're also successfully operating. Think about like liquor, for example, I mean, liquor barn exists and that's a big corporation, but you know, in the town I live in, everybody wants to go to Chuck's liquors when Chuck was alive because Chuck was just (laughs) the coolest guy ever. So he went to Chuck, (laughs) you know, so they, they both have a place. Yeah, I've, I've certainly seen the same thing. Uh, I remember being in Amsterdam for ISE and, you know, you'd stick your head into one of these coffee shops and it was just a hole in the wall and kind of weird. But uh, out by the hotel where I was staying, there was a, a dispensary that looked like an Apple store. Like it was right. very slick. Yeah, so we, we actually did. Uh, interesting you say that. So there's this place called Euflora and um Jamie Perino was uh, was one of the owners at the time, and it's at the 16th Street uh, walk, Mall Walking District in downtown Denver. This is, you know, the big street with the old mm-hmm. pianos outside, and everybody's wandering around. Very touristy area, and so we did the first project for them. That I remember getting a call from them, and they're like, "Hey, we open in 11 days, and we've got this crazy idea where there would be a touchscreen kiosk, and it's sitting next to a jar of marijuana." And this kiosk has all this interactive stuff on it with everything about that strain of marijuana. We need it in our stores live in 11 days. Can you guys do it? And and then I was like, and they said, oh, yeah, and our budget is X. And I just laughed. And I said, well, <laughs> X is missing a couple of zeros, especially <laughs> like with an 11 Especially for 11 days. days. Yeah, for an 11 day. What are you talking about? And they're like, can you do it or not? And I said, well, I can, but I shouldn't, but I'm going to. And so we did because we wanted to be part of, you know, the, the the exposing of this whole thing. And so we took it on. And so when you would first walk in your floor and you can dig up some old video files from the news channels from eight years ago, it very much looked like an Apple store because we had Apple iPads on every table next to a jar of marijuana. And you could scroll up and down and see what the euphoric effects would be. And does it make you sleepy, happy, hungry, horny? You know, what's it going to do to you? And, you know, and, and what are its genetics? Where did it come from? And just all this interesting stuff. And, and people would come in that store fascinated, you know, and so it was very much, it was very Apple-esque. How, how did you end up in digital signage? Cause I, I was looking at your bio and yeah. God, you've, you've got 
patents and I, I wrote it down here uh patents in magneto hydrodynamics for energy exploration and drilling <laughs> and everything like like what how did you <laughs> what the how hell did you happened? get here what the hell happened right <laughs> so um I've, you know, early in life, I realized I didn't really like formal education. So I I think I'm like nine hours from a college degree, but I dropped out and entrepreneurial. So I became an investment broker and I worked on several different fundraising deals. Most of them were driven around biodiesel. That was very active at the time when I dropped out of college, you know, early 2000s, biodiesel was a thing. Uh, a lot of a lot of different technologies, and very quickly I got interested in alternative energy technologies and energy efficiency technologies, and just anything that was energy related and a technology related. And so I had a operation with about twenty thousand acres of natural gas wells in eastern Kentucky that were clean natural gas wells using advanced technologies like hydraulic fracturing. I started inventing magnetohydrodynamic technologies that's used by Chevron and Exxon and people that, you know, goes down in oil wells that's used to eliminate paraffin. That technology's now been adopted by the DOD to make, you know, airline to make fighter jets fly farther because the fluid systems, you know, flow better. Mm-hmm. And a lot of different things. And then 2008 came, you know, so I own a quarry that's mining silica for silicon to make microprocessors. And I got a bunch of natural gas wells and magnetic technologies. And 2008 comes, 2007 comes, the housing crisis collapses, everything. And natural gas went from about $14 in MCF, which was the vast majority of the revenue that we were driving was from natural gas to like a dollar and a half. And MCF, hmm. which is the unit that you produce it and sell it on, it stands for a thousand cubic feet. And so, well, I needed three dollars to make that make sense, right? And now it's at a dollar and a half. So I went from like really, really cash flow positive to one hundred percent cash flow negative in just a matter of months. And you know, on top of that, when you own a bunch of quarries, nobody's buying any materials. And so I look up, and and literally everything I'm involved in, just all of a sudden is collapsing and I don't have the the payroll to make payroll for this massive bunch of employees. We had several offices in different parts across the country. Uh, and so slowly, but well, it wasn't slowly, but surely actually it was excruciatingly painfully fast. Everything had to close up. And so, so here's, you know, here's the reality. I'm at home depressed out of my mind. I've just had to lay everyone off. I've had to shut in all these gas wells. I've had to lock the gates on all these quarries. I've, you know, nobody wants to talk about anything. Everybody's going broke. And, you know, my wife comes to me and she says, you've got to do something. You know, we have kids we have to feed. We have bills we have to pay. You cannot sit here and be depressed. And I had seen somewhere, uh, I think it was in a mall, a friend of mine had built a TV screen turned sideways and it had a Adobe Flash player on it, and it was playing some animated motion graphics that he controlled on a desktop PC inside this big kiosk. And I thought, well, I could do something with that, similar to that. And so I, I literally grabbed a 32-inch Vizio TV out of my living room. My wife goes, where are you going with my TV? I said, I'll bring you back <laughs> a bigger one. I'll see you in a week. And she goes, you're leaving my TV for a week? I said, yeah. And <laughs> And but you'll get a bigger one, I promise. And and I grabbed a Toshiba laptop that my field hands that would go around, you know, they had to log what parts they used and how long they were on job sites and stuff. And I grabbed one of these old stinky laptops that smells like crude oil, and I hung it in a friend of mine's restaurant in Clarkson, Kentucky, uh, named Kay's Cafe, and it was political season. 
And so I'm going to tell a story on myself here, Dave. Um, and so I, I go around, I'm building these very animated PowerPoints and I'm changing the files out via log me in at the time. It's, I didn't even have any software, digital signage software. I didn't even know digital signage was a thing. Uh, and, and so, so I'm like, I got to sell ads on this thing. Right. So I go to this guy that's running for sheriff and I told a little white line, I was like, Hey man, the other guy that's running for sheriff, he's buying in on my screens. It's in the most high trafficked restaurant. And apparently legally, I've got to offer you the same opportunity at the same price. He goes, why, what's he paying? And I told him, he goes, well, I'll take it. And so then I went to the guy that I just told the white lie and said, this other guy, is buying in was which was actually true the second time right so yeah that's how we got started was you know i had to feed my kids i had a i had a 32 inch vizio tv and a busted up laptop and you know i sold some people aspiring to be politicians some ads and some real estate agents and it just grew from there you know i look up wow. and I'm in, I'm in hundreds of restaurants and fitness centers with a doh network and uh, you know, six months later, a friend of mine says, hey, can you use one of those silly ad TVs and make a menu on it? Because the price of salmon keeps fluctuating so much. I got to put these mailbox letters. It's tragic. And so we we made which was one of the early digital menus. I think I think we both agree 2008, 2009 was not the dawning moment of digital menus like it wasn't the precipice of it. That was very early. And so mm -hmm. we started using those and saw opportunities to replace those little black felt directories with the letters you run out of the m's and so you flip the w upside down it's all bow-legged looking you yep. know on the little felt boards we started making digital directories integrated with like google sheets so you could change it easily and and the rest was history man i dove in and needless to say the kids are fed now the wife is happy <laughs> she got a bigger tv i think it's 70 inch now so everyone's cool nice that's a hell of a pivot yeah, yeah, buddy. Necessity is the mother of invention. That's what I heard. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, th this was terrific. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, man. You, so, so I, I was going to start off this morning saying, "Long time listener, first time caller." I've been, you know, <laughs> watching your website, your blog, your podcast for as long as I can remember. So it's it's been an honor to finally get to be a part of it, uh, and I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time with me. Hey, thank you, Dave. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 69 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 16.9 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of the stuff out there. If something makes it on 16.9, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 16.9 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog, and the podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.